want to read uh, John chapter 7, verse number 37. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. It says, On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. For whoever believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Would you say that with me? Out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. He says, if you believe on me, as the scripture has said, out of your heart will flow rivers of living water, um, as the scripture has said, right? And so the next verse says, now this he said about the spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the spirit had not yet been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. So John is, is parenthetically uh, entering this statement here to clarify what Jesus was saying, that when Jesus was talking about this river of life flowing out of us, that it was going to proceed forth because God has given His Spirit to His people. And so tonight, I'll, I want to talk to you from a... Uh, I'm going to steal somebody's title, but I didn't steal their message. And uh, I have to clarify because Brother Burl likes to listen to the same preachers that I do. Um, on podcast, and I'm not going to tell you who, because then you're going to go listen, and you're going to find out where I get a lot of good things. Um, but, uh, no, I'm just kidding. Um, I, I heard Stephen Furtick uh, preach a, a sermon series called Flip the Flow, and that that that's just little snippet stuck in my head. And, and I promise you, the Lord gave me this. Uh, not that there's any shame in, in stealing. We, we sing the same songs all the time, right? We steal people's songs. But... Um, but the Lord laid this on my heart for us to flip the flow. God wants to flip the flow in our life. Can we just lift our hands and pray? God, we pray right now for your anointing. God, your hand to touch, to be upon us tonight. God, we pray that you would just walk into this room, God, and bring understanding with you, God. Bring wisdom and discernment with you, Lord. I pray, God, that you would come and minister to our hearts, God. That you would come and minister to the innermost part of who we are and what we're about. And God, let us walk out of here encouraged, God, and confident in what you want to do for us and through us. In the name of Jesus, everybody said amen. God bless you. You can be seated. Um, a, a few weeks ago, I spoke about what you really need. And I talked about how God wants to deal with the source issues and not just um, the surface issues in our life. We had a great Great time that Sunday. We talked about how when we bring him our needs, he doesn't just want to meet the need, but what he really wants to do is meet the need that is beneath the need. And God understands uh, that there is a source of every issue in our life, and he wants to meet us at the point of our real need, our source need, our, our issues that come from our heart. Amen? You see, source issues uh, for me lately have been a vein of thought that God has been talking to me and I believe to us about. Uh, last Wednesday, Pastor spoke about having a clean new heart. And it's, it's sort of been a theme lately that God has been dealing with us about our hearts. God's wanting to deal with us on the level of our innermost being. And that is where real change happens. How many of you believe that? It's, it's way down... On the inside. That's where real change takes place. It's not the surface level. It's, it's down deep. 
Uh, it's, it's where transformation takes place. It's where real ministry and miracles are born. That is the part that God is most concerned with. Because if our heart is right, what flows out of our heart will be right. Do you believe that? If our heart is right, then what comes out in our life is going to be right. And, and so heart work is hard work. It's not easy, it's not simple, and it's probably why we, we don't ever hear these messages in singles. It's not like the Lord just brushes by and says, hey, you've got to deal with some heart stuff. But over and over again, God speaks to our ministers, to our preachers, to guest pastors that come in and speak in this pulpit about the issues of the heart. Because heart work is hard work. It takes a little time sometimes to get down beneath the surface to where our real issues live at. And that is exactly what I believe God is wanting to do in His church. It's exactly what God wants to do in His people. He wants to transform us from the inside out because He cares about what's coming out of your life. He cares about the outcome of your life. He cares about the kind of difference that you're making. He cares about what's going on inside because what's going on inside determines what flows to the outside. And every life is a source of something. Amen? Y'all believe that? Every life is a source of something. It may be a source of frustration. But you're still a source. <laughs> Praise God. It may be a source of annoyance. I, I, my two little boys love to fight. And their favorite thing to say is, he's annoying me. Both of them annoy each other all the time. And I told them, that's what brothers do. That's what they're for. <laughs> Every life is a source of something. Some lives are a source of joy. Some people are in our life a source of peace, uh, a source of solace, a source of pain. There, there are all kinds of different impacts that we have on our life. But everybody, every life is a source of something. And listen, I, I want to I walk through the scriptures tonight and, and show you something that the Lord has been teaching me. It's, it's not revelatory. You might run an aisle, but I doubt it. Um, I'll try to preach good enough so that you do. Um, but, but Proverbs chapter 4, Solomon begins to write in Proverbs 4, verse 20. English Standard Version, he says, My son, give attention to my words and incline your ear to my sayings. He said, do not let them depart from your eyes. Would you say that? Don't let them depart from your eyes. He says, keep your eye on it. Keep your eyes on what I've said to you. He said, keep them in the midst of your heart. Why? Because they are life to those who find them and health to all their flesh. He says, give attention to my words, incline your ear to my saying. Don't let them depart from your eyes and keep them in your heart. And if you do that, they'll become a source to you of life and of health. And he says, keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it, the New King James Version says, spring the issues of life. Out of it bubbles up the issues of life. Solomon establishes two truths. First, that every life has a source. And second, that every life is a source. 
See the pattern. Solomon says, pay attention to my words. Keep them in your heart. Why? For they are life to those who find them and health to their flesh. Somebody say, that's a source. They are life and they are health. If you keep my word before you and keep it before your eyes and keep it in your heart, it's a source of life and of health. Now Solomon is talking about his words of wisdom in the Proverbs, but I think that we can within reason make the overarching point that the word of God is a source of life and it's a source of health to us. If we keep it in our focus and we keep it in our heart, there are benefits and blessings to Keeping the word ever before us. Amen? It's a source. He says if the hearer finds the words of wisdom and truth and keeps them in their heart, they become a source of life to those who find them and a source of health and healing to those who keep the word in their heart. Solomon understood that everyone has something that they look to. Something that they believe in. Something that they turn to and something that they hold in their heart. Solomon understood that everybody, somebody say everybody, everybody looks to something. Everybody has a source. Now now hang with me because often our struggles are defined by what we believe in and what we look to. Because when we believe that money is the answer and we look to material things and desire them in the depths of our heart, it creates an outcome of greed and materialism in our life. It impacts and stains relationships. It impacts and informs our decisions. And it, it, it shoots us on a trajectory of life because we're looking to it and we're loving on it. It's in our eyes and it's in our Heart. When we believe that what people think about us matters more than what God thinks about us, we look to the approval of others and believe in our heart that that's what we really need. It creates an outcome of pride and of people pleasing. It creates a flow in our life. Why? Because we look upon it, we look to it, and we hold it in our heart. And whatever it is that we set up in the place of importance in our mind, in our spirit, and in our heart, it creates a wellspring that springs up and flows out into our life. And everything that we are, everything that we do, everything that we'll accomplish, everything that defines us will be affected by the thing that we look to and the thing that we lean on. Every life as a source, everybody is looking to something or to someone as the source of their satisfaction and their purpose in life. For some people, it's a friends group. For some people, it's career success. And there are all kinds of things that the human heart can gravitate towards. Some sell it all for fame and for fortune and, and for material things. But everybody, somebody say everybody. Everybody has something that they look to and that they run to in their flesh. And so often our, our struggles are defined by what we believe in and we look to. And if you're having trouble discerning what that area in your life is that competes with God, 
Think about the stuff that you struggle with, the things that you always loop back to, that when you're not praying and when you're not doing good, where do I turn to? Where do I look to? Where do I run to? Every life has a source. But watch what happens. Solomon says, if you incline your ear to my sayings and keep them in your heart, they will be life and health. Then Solomon gives us the second piece to the puzzle. He said, keep your heart with diligence, for out of it are springing the issues of life. When something gets into your heart, your heart begins to produce and mass manufacture that issue into your life, into your relationships, into your worship. Your heart begins to pump it out into your life. That is what your heart really is, isn't it? Your heart has blood and it it pushes the blood to the extremities of your body. And so it is that when something gets into our heart, our heart takes that thing and it distributes it to the four corners of our life. And so Solomon is helping us to understand that what goes into our heart begins to be mass produced into our life. And so you have a source. It's the thing you look to. It's the thing that you let into your heart. But you also become a source. And so if it's greed and materialism that you look to and it gets in, all of a sudden you're not, you don't just have a source, you are a source of greed and materialism. You ever got around somebody that that just loves money? I'm picking on that one because it's easy to pick on. They love fine things. They love to brag about all the cool things they have. And then all of a sudden you find yourself kind of struggling with that a little bit like, boy... I thought my house was nice until I saw their house, you know. There's a group in, in uh, Arizona of our friends that if, if one of them gets a new floor, like there are three or four other families that have to go get that same kind of new flooring. It's, it's contagious. <laughs> but, but it's, it, you know, you want to pray that off of you. It's an expensive disease. <laughs> but it, it, it can be contagious. You become the things that we look to. We become, they are our source, but they also, we become a source of them to our life and to our family and to our friends and to other people. And so we, we are, we have a source, whatever we look to and keep in our heart, but we also are a source that whatever is in our heart will come out in our life. Solomon says you've got to be careful what you look to and what you let in. Because what you look to and what you let in is going to come out. And that's why he's warning us to keep our heart. We have to be careful what we look to. We have to be careful what we let in. Because that is how we create the sin, the struggles, and the issues in our life. Every issue is born by what we look to and by what we let in. And so anything that I look to for my sense of soul satisfaction other than God, hear me well, is an idol. Anything that I put before my God is an idol. Anything that I think I must have for my life to be uh, meaningful and purposeful is an idol. And so people look to money, people look to fame, people look to pleasure, 
People look to comfort, to power, to approval, and a host of every, uh, of every other thing. And they say, if, if I only had more of dot, 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 then my life would be better off. One day I was at home. We were living in Arizona for about a year before we went and planted our church. And I got a knock at the door. And it was Jehovah's Witness at the door. So I opened up the door. And the lady, uh, I didn't get a chance to introduce myself or anything. She just said, do you believe money is the root of all of your problems? And that money will solve it? I stood there for a second kind of stunned because, like, no introduction or anything. We just went straight to the throat, you know. <laughs> like, okay. I said, no, not really. And the lady stepped back like, what on earth? They didn't prepare me for this. I was looking for the greedy house. I didn't, you know, I thought they were going to say yes, and I was going to call them to repentance. I said, no, I don't think that's it. She says, well, many people do. Here's a brochure about that. Like, well, you guessed the wrong sin today that I struggle with. <laughs> you should have brought a bunch of brochures because I'm sure i got to struggle with one of them. <laughs> but that's not the one. <laughs> but, but there are all sorts of things that we look to, all sorts of things that we lean on. The things that we think will help us. The things that we think will improve the quality of our life. Uh, author Tim Keller in his book Counterfeit God said this. That anything you look to more than Christ for a sense of acceptability, joy, significance, hope, and security is by definition your God. Something you adore and serve with your whole life and your heart. And if you try to achieve your sense of self by a performance, and you're putting something in the place of Christ as a Savior. And this is what Solomon knew, is that what you look to and what you let in will quickly become your source, and you will become an extension of that thing that you're looking to and letting in. Solomon says, Son, don't let my words depart from your eyes. Why? Because what you look to, you eventually let in. One day I was at home. This is a separate time. About, we had been married for about six months, and there came a knock at the door. A lot of door-to-door salesmen in tonight's message. Uh, and there was a lady with a rainbow vacuum on my porch. I was, uh, I was 23 years old. I'd never heard of a rainbow vacuum. Some of you are already cringing because you know what happened next. She said, pardon, sir, can I have five minutes of your time? I'd like to show you this vacuum. And I thought, well, she's out here working hard. It's kind of hot. Sure. Come on in. (laughs) And I let her in. (laughs) And uh, she started showing me this vacuum. I said, wow, that's pretty neat. It's pretty cool. You know, she started showing me this attack. You know, 10 minutes she was talking. I said, well, five minutes over. You know, she just kept talking. And she was only on the first attachment. And I thought, well, okay, she's finally winding down. She said, hold on, let me grab my bag. I thought she was going to hand me a brochure or something. She pulls out another attachment and says, well, if you just take this, starts unscrewing parts of the vacuum, is going to put another piece on and demonstrate it for me. I said, hold on, hold on. How many of those parts do you have? And she said, oh, there's, there's all sorts. She starts naming off all these. You can blow up balloons with this thing. You can clean curtains. You can wash car. You can do all sorts of... I mean, she's given me her best pitch. And all I want to know is, how do I get this person out of my house? You said five minutes. And she went for about a half hour. And finally, I said, listen, ma'am. I said, I don't even know what, what you're asking for this vacuum, but I don't want it. 
I said, it's cool, and it does all the things you said it can do, but, but can you just please leave my house? You told me it was going to take five minutes, and that was a half hour ago. And she said, well, can I have a cup of water? And I said, sure, wait on the porch. I'll get you one to go. <laughs> I couldn't get her out of the house. My wife was standing back in the hallway watching what was going to happen. Because <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm non-confrontational by nature, but I had enough. She just wouldn't stop. But you know what I figured out? Is I figured out it was a whole lot harder to get her out than it would have been to keep her out. Because once you let it in, it's hard to get rid of somebody. Some of y'all have company like that. I let her in and she wouldn't leave. And Solomon understood that if you look to it long enough, you'll let it in. And if you let it in here, it gets out of your life. It gets out of your control. And all of a sudden, what you were looking to and what you let in now is coming out of your life. And you have become a source. What you let in springs up from the heart and begins to flow in your life. I'm convinced if I let her stay long enough, I would be selling rainbow vacuums today instead of preaching the gospel. <laughs> I almost got trapped. <laughs> See, what you let in springs up from the heart and begins to flow out into your life. And this is the cycle that happens for us. Matthew twelve thirty five tells us that a good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things. What is the difference between a good and an evil man. It's the things that you allow to live in the inner man. Does anybody hear me tonight? It's, it's the stuff that you allow to live on the inside. That is the difference. Because he said, and an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil things. Where is this coming from? Have you ever asked that when you start struggling with something in your life and all of a sudden this thing that you didn't have a problem with, now you got a problem with and, and there's this struggle. Where is this coming from? I can tell you where it's coming from. It's coming from something that got into your heart. Something that you looked to and you thought it looked good and you thought it wouldn't be too bad and, and, and you looked at it for a while then you let it in and it came in and it started taking all the stuff out of the suitcase and unpacking, wanted to show you all the features and the parts of this little segment of life that you thought you would entertain. And all of a sudden you have a struggle or a sin in your life that you didn't plan on having because of what you look to and what you let in. And so you're the source of something. Because a good man brings forth good treasure out of his heart and an evil man brings forth evil treasure out of his heart that tells me there is no person that isn't a source of something you are a source something is springing out of your heart and flowing into your life and not just your life but into lives around you whether good or evil blessing or cursing whatever it is you are a source of something. Something is flowing through your heart and into the lives of your family, your children, your spouse, the people you work with, the people you spend your time with. You are a source of something in this life. In 2 Kings 2, I talked about it a couple Sundays ago, and I want to revisit that scripture. 2 Kings 2, the men, the men of Jericho have a problem um, that was 
flowing into their city. Um, they had a water issue, and women, uh, the, the Bible says women were having miscarriages, people were dying, plants were not producing, they were fruitless, and, and somehow they figured out that the issue was with the water that was flowing into the city. And, and when they figure this out, they, they find that Elisha has taken on the mantle of the prophet Elijah. And, and this is really kind of his first test. They come to him and they say, listen, the city is, is set up good. It's a great city. Jericho's a fine place. But there's, there's a problem with the water here and it's bringing forth death. They said the situation in the city is pleasant as my Lord sees, but the water is bad and the land is unfruitful. And so he tells them, bring me a new bowl and put salt in it. And so they brought it to him. And the Bible tells us in 2 Kings 2.21 that he went to the spring of water and he threw the salt in it and said, Thus says the Lord, I have healed this water. From now on, neither death nor miscarriage shall come from it. And so it says, the water was healed has been healed to this day according to the word that Elisha spoke. And see, the issue wasn't the issue. Uh, The water in the city was not, it, it was the problem that appeared as it came to them, but it wasn't really where the problem started. It wasn't really where the problem came from. There was a problem at the source, but they were seeing it in the city. And the only way to take care of the issue was to deal with the problem at the spring. You know, springs are formed when underground water runs along hard, impenetrable rock and then percolates to the surface where rock outcroppings often appear. And most of the region of Jericho has substantial formations of limestone below the surface which allows rainwater to be absorbed until it reaches the underlying bedrock And then underground, the water flows into adjoining valleys where uh, it occasionally will spring up to the surface. And so they were seeing this problem in the surface water, but the real issue was way down beneath the surface where they couldn't see it. In fact, um, not all springs will uh, produce good water. There are mineral deposits or, or lead or different things underground that can contaminate the water. But hear this, that the wrong substance under the surface could create chaos where the water flowed to. You see, up on the surface, stuff was dying. But the root of the problem was deep down under the ground where I could not easily see it or behold it. This is exactly what happened to Jericho. And so when God's man went to go heal the issue, he had to go to the spring. He had to go to the place where the surface meets the source. He had to go to the place where it was bubbling up from. And I'm here to tell you that this is what God really wants to do in our life. He wants to transform the inner man. He wants to meet us at the point where the surface and the source come together. He wants to find what's wrong in us. And He wants to search out the deep places of our heart that are causing problems in our life. And He wants to heal the real issue. He wants to heal what's really happening under the surface. He wants to transform 
your inner man. He wants to make all things that are coming out of you new. How many of you think that sounds good? And wouldn't it be great if God just met us where the source meets the surface tonight, where it's springing up out of our life, and He began to do a work there? You see, often we want the results at Jericho, but God wants to deal with us where it springs up from. And this is what He really wants to do, because we are all a source of something, and something is flowing out of each and every one of our lives. And what that will be depends on what our source is. What are we looking to? What are we letting into our heart? What are we uh, ascribing value and, and worship to? What are we looking to more than we are looking to God? You see, God wants to flip the flow in our life. He wants to transform us from being a source of sin and shame and guilt and defeat and doubt and condemnation into being a source of hope and joy and strength and life and liberty and salvation to our friends, to our families, and to our communities. And hear me, it doesn't happen by Christian exercise and routine. It happens when a person meets God in the very depths of their heart and of their soul. That's where life flows from. That's where life-giving ministry comes from. It's not just from showing up to church and doing a routine because you, you can be in the church and not let God's Spirit get in you. Man, I feel the Holy Ghost tonight. I feel like God, He wants to do a work, and, and not just on us, but He wants to do a work through us. He wants stuff to spring up out of us that will give life to a friend or to a family member that's in need. He wants stuff coming out of us that's going to help the lost to be saved. He wants stuff coming out of us that's going to help people who, who can't find their way to find their way. He wants us to become a wellspring of life. For other people around us. He doesn't want us to put forth more of the sin and the shame and the condemnation that this world already deals with. More death and more miscarriage and more unfruitful. He doesn't want that for us. He wants to meet us at the point of our need. And He wants to transform what is flowing. He wants to flip the flow of our life. He wants to, to remove all of the death and the doubt and the fear and the shame. And wants to replace it. With good stuff. And I feel that tonight. That's what God really wants to do. Not just for you. Somebody say, but through me. God wants to do it through me. He wants me to become a source of life for other people. God wants to flip the flow. In our text in John 7, I know some of you were thinking like, where is he going with John 7 and all this? I was kind of thinking that myself today when I was studying. Where am I going with this? <laughs> John 7 is such an interesting passage of Scripture. I've preached it many times and never really, uh, or a lot of times I've just not really realized the full scope of what was happening. But John 7 is, is centered around uh, the Feast of Tabernacles. The Feast of Tabernacles, if you don't know about it, was a week-long festival that was an annual reminder to the people that God brought them through the wilderness and chose to tabernacle among them. And He protected and blessed them as they wandered through the wilderness. Uh, it was where God brought the tabernacle plan to Moses and, 
And so they commemorate uh, this every year with a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. They would build small huts or booths to remind themselves of God's provision and their dependence on him when he led Israel out of Egypt and through the wilderness. And so, so this is what they would do is they would come and they would, they would basically make these little pup tents and they would sleep in them for a week and they would feast during the daytime and they would stay in the tent. And it was a, all a reminder and a commemoration of what God did for them in the wilderness. And so in the opening verses of, of the chapter of John 7, the disciples begged Jesus to make an appearance at the feast in Jerusalem so that he can make an entrance and be known. They're saying, come on, Jesus, this is your time. Everybody's gathered in Jerusalem. You can go there and they will be known. Uh, everybody will know you and, and, and you will be, uh, essentially you'll be famous if you go and, and make a big appearance at the feast. And Jesus tells them that it is not yet his time, but it was already their time and they could go and go on to the festival. And so Jesus stays behind because he refuses to make a public display. And so the disciples make their way off to the city of Jerusalem for the week-long festival. And verse 10 says that after they go, Jesus secretly makes his way to Jerusalem and slips into the festivities without the entourage and without the fanfare. And what he finds there is, is really astounding. Jesus says, y'all go on ahead. And he just kind of slides in the back door, doesn't want to be seen or known. It's not time to make the big announcement. It's not yet his time. But he slips in and what he finds is astounding because though Jesus hasn't made a big public appearance, the crowds are murmuring about Jesus. And everyone is talking about him. There are people arguing about who he is and where he's from. And some are hoping that he'll show up. Others are hoping that he doesn't. The Jewish leaders are asking everybody, where is Jesus? Have you seen Jesus there? You know, they're waiting for him to do something because they want to use it as an opportunity to arrest him. And so they're asking about him and the people are saying, we haven't seen him. And, and it's causing a debate to flow through the streets of Jerusalem. Everybody is there for the Feast of Tabernacles, but everybody is talking about Jesus. I love this. Jesus goes against the grain of what you would think would be good public relations. And he slips in. And as he's walking through the streets, he's hearing them argue. I think he could be the Messiah. No, he's not. You're crazy. And he slips in and everybody's arguing about him and talking about him. It's the, the, uh, the topic of the entire week. He was a central topic of conversation and People are arguing about whether or not he could be the Messiah. And John seven fourteen says, Then midway through the festival, Jesus went up to the temple and began to teach. So as everybody is murmuring and talking about him for days, finally Jesus says, You know what? I'm going to go teach. And Jesus goes up to the temple and he begins to teach. And the Bible tells us that they are astounded. And they say, How does Jesus know all of this stuff? When he hasn't even had study or time or training. He's not a Pharisee. He has no formal education. How, where does this knowledge come from? And his teaching causes the debate to intensify. He teaches and over the remaining of the days the, uh, uh, of the feast discussion 
intensifies and they're discussing who he is, where he's come from, whether or not he's the Messiah, whether or not Jewish leaders are, are not arresting him because they know he's the Messiah. People are concocting all kinds of, of ideas and they're saying, well, you know, here he is and they're not arresting him. They must know he's the Messiah. You know how people are. If they don't have the news, they'll make it up. And that's what they're doing. And John tells us that many who heard him believed on him and the Jews then sought to arrest him. They were gathered there for the Feast of Tabernacles, but all anybody was talking about was Jesus. The Feast of Tabernacles had three main rituals. They would build and stay in their temporary tents, their little huts. They would light up the temple at night, and then the final ritual was the daily uh, drink offering, where water was drawn from the Siloam Spring in Jerusalem every day, of the feast with great ceremony, the priest would approach and in prayer would draw from the water uh, at the well and the pool of Siloam and they would bring it through the streets of Jerusalem carefully, bring it to the temple where they would lift it up as an offering to God and then they would pour it out upon the steps of the temple as an offering. It commemorated for them the river of water that God brought out of the rock that's in the wilderness. It commemorated for them the time when God told Moses to speak to a rock and a, a river that would supply three million plus people flowed out of it. It was the big moment of the day every day. All eyes and all ears were upon the drink offering. It was in that scene and setting that Jesus stood on the last day of the feast. It's finally winding down and they've been wondering about Jesus all week. I love this. And Jesus stood in the last day, the great day, the climax of the feast, to answer all of the questions and conversations about them, uh, about himself. He would answer who he was and why he had come. And John 737 tells us that in the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If any man thirsts, let him come. To me and drink. All eyes, I believe, all ears, and all attention was squarely upon him. When in the middle of this, you know how it is when people talk out in church. Everybody turns and looks. In the middle of this solemn assembly, Jesus stands up. I believe he throws his hands in the air. And he says, if you're thirsty, anyone who is thirsty, come to me and drink. All week, Brother Daryl, they've been debating, is he the Messiah? Is he the one? Could it be him? Who is this Jesus? And what is he about? And when it finally all comes to a climax, he stands up and he says, if you're thirsty, come to me and drink. I am the source for what you need. I am the rock in your wilderness. I am the source and supply of what your spirit needs. If you are thirsty and lost and hopeless like Israel was when the waters of Merah were bitter and when they had nothing to drink in the wilderness and when there was no spring, he said, if you're thirsty and lost and wondering, you can look and come to me and drink. I am the rock. In the wilderness that the water runs from. I'm where you can find hope. 
I'm where you can find healing. I have come to set the captive free. The anointing of the Lord is upon me to destroy. The, yo, if you've got an issue, look to me. To the Jew, there could have been no clearer statement on whether or not Jesus was the Messiah. Jesus' voice booms out over the crowd who had watched them draw water from the pool of Siloam six previous times and carry it carefully to the temple. If you are thirsty, you don't need to look to a rock from several thousand years ago. You don't need a rock in the wilderness. You need to look to me. I am your rock. And this is the primary call of Jesus. Look to me, all the ends of the earth, and be ye saved, saith the Lord. Look to me. This is what Jesus was saying. Is you don't need to look to the stuff you've been looking to. You don't need to look to what the world tells you to look to. You don't need to look at all that other stuff for your source of satisfaction and hope and help. He said, look to me, all the ends of the earth, and be ye saved. Look to me. Look to me. If you're thirsty, come to me. How do you flip the flow first? You have to learn to look to Jesus. And I'm not just talking about one time. Do we need to come to him in initial faith and repentance? Yes. But when we get distracted, Sister Doris, and when the world begins to pull at us, we've got to learn to turn our eyes back to the rock. We've got to come back to the rock. That that stuff isn't what I'm here for. And that isn't what's going to help me. Money can come. Money can go. People can come. People can go. Relationships can come. Relationships can go. But at the end of the day, I've got to look to Jesus for my source of life. The first thing you need to do is stop looking everywhere else and start looking to Jesus. That's how you flip the flow of your life. Is because Solomon said what you look to and what you let in is what's going to take up residence in your heart. And so let me tell you, it starts when you get your eyes off of that and get your eyes on Him. That's when the process of flipping the flow starts. It's when you say, I don't need anything else in my life. I don't need more money. I don't need a better job. I don't need a better spouse. I don't need better kids. I need Jesus, and He is the source of what I need. My goodness, I didn't plan to come and preach. I feel the Holy Ghost. Somebody say, look to Jesus. Second, you need to believe in Him. And you have to let Him into your heart. He said, for so whosoever believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Here's what Jesus is saying is all the junk that's been coming out of your life, it doesn't have to come out. But you've got to look to me if you're thirsty. And he's, he told the little woman at the well of Samaria that if you would drink of this, if you take this water in, he said it would be in you a well of water springing up into eternal life. He said it will never run dry. Why? Because when you take it in, you have a source, but you also become a source. Whoever believes on me, as the scripture said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. 
But this spake he of the Spirit, which those who believed in him were yet to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. What is he saying? He's saying something transformational happens when we look to Jesus and believe on him. When we believe on him as the Scripture says, not as you prefer to, not in your own context, not in your own uh, opinion or in your own approach, but when you believe on Him as the Scripture says, something else, something entirely new begins to flow out of you. John interjects, Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit, which they that believe on Him would receive. And it wasn't yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. So Jesus was revealing before the time that when we receive the baptism of the Spirit... It is an outer evidence of an inner change. Because what comes out is evidence of what exists within. It's where the surface meets the source and something begins to flow up out of us that didn't exist there before. And they shall speak with other tongues. Anybody hear me? You see, Jesus was showing us that when we believe on Him as the Scripture has said, that... And when we learn to look to Him, He puts something within us that becomes a source of life to others. The Holy Ghost isn't just about a one-time experience. It's about a spiritual transformation that when you receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost, the intention of the eternal God is not to just give you a good feeling for one day, but it's to transform what's coming out in your life. Anybody ever turn on the hot water and doesn't come in right away? Takes it a minute to kick in. But the longer you leave it open, the hotter it starts to flow. We've got one of those uh, tankless water heaters, so we, I can just let the hot water run all day if I want to. It'll never run out. And that's what, that's what happens when we receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, is God opens up a different tap as you're closing off another one. And God says, I'm going to begin to send some stuff through you. This is not just for you, but it's about moving through you. And you shall be witnesses. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. You shall be witnesses unto me. In Judea, in Samaria, into the uttermost parts of the earth. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is not just a punch your ticket, go to heaven kind of thing. But it is the transformational purpose of God to take you from putting out death to being a source of life. The gift of the Holy Ghost is not just about us. Listen to this. He said, out of your belly shall flow rivers of what? You know what the difference between water and living water is? It's just water. You can put water in a cup and it's not living water according to the Jewish tradition. Living water has a source and it has a destination. In other words, it's flowing somewhere. It's going somewhere. It's coming from somewhere and it's flowing to somewhere. Coming from someone and flowing to someone. And let me tell you, honey, it wasn't just about the day you got the Holy Ghost. But the Holy Ghost, the gift, isn't just about us. But its purpose is to transform our lives into a conduit of living water that will flow into lives around us. It will give life to our relationships. It will bring hope to the broken. It will bring light into dark places. And the Holy Ghost was meant to flip the flow in your life. That's what it's for. That's what it does. But here's the thing. We have to let it. Because I'll tell you how this message came about. 
And I'm almost done. As I was praying, I was saying, God, there's not enough life coming out of me. God, you gave me your spirit, but I don't feel the flow like I ought to feel the flow, God. I'm not seeing what your word was talking about personally, God. I want to see life flow out of my life, God. I don't want to just be a Christian that celebrates and commemorates like the Jews did at the Feast of Tabernacles. But I want to be the one who looks constantly to Jesus. Who believes on Him as the Scripture has said. So that out of my belly will flow something that is bigger than me. And it's not even really about me. It's about when I come into alignment. and my, I let Jesus into my heart. Jesus starts ministering through me. For me, on me, in me, through me. That's the will of God. For the Christian, we've got to let it. There are many people who've had an experience with the Holy Ghost that don't have an ongoing relationship with Jesus. They had a one-time experience with Jesus, and they looked to Him, and they let Him in, and He filled them with the Spirit, but then they started looking at other things and believing on other things too. And, and, and like, a, like a pipe that's clogged, all of a sudden, it, it cuts off the flow when you start looking to other stuff. And that's not the will of God for the Christian. It's not the will of God for His church. And so I've come. I, I'm just trying to be honest with you tonight that there are times God's done some great things through me. But lately, I've been talking to God and saying, you know what, God, if there's anything, anything that I'm looking to, God, anything that I'm distracted by, Anything that I'm running after, if I look at it for too long, I'll let it in. And when I let it in, it flips the flow the wrong way in my life. But here's how you fix the flow of your life. If you look at your Christian experience and you see that it's benefited and blessed nobody but yourself, here's what you do. And this is how I'm coming to a close. It's the same thing you do when you start it. As you come, if you're thirsty, you come. To him and drink of the water of life. You look to Jesus again. Proverbs 4. Do not let it depart from your eyes. Listen, we all tend to lose focus. Does anybody hear me? Is anybody real? Can you just wave your hand if you ever lost focus spiritually? <laughs> we all tend to lose focus and look to other things for our purpose and satisfaction. Christianity is the constant cycle of bringing our life back to Jesus and looking to him once again. Every morning when I rise, I've got to look to Jesus. Every day that I walk in this life, I can't wake up tomorrow and decide there's something else worth chasing after, something else worth looking to. But my life can become a source of life to others if I'll look again to Jesus. Second, as you keep Him in your heart. That's what Solomon said, keep it in your heart. Maintain a heart connection. Through pursuing a daily, personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Trying to be a Christian without a daily walk with Christ creates confusion and frustration. Romans says this, As many as are led by the Spirit, they are the sons of God. And so every day, somebody say every day. Every day we get to choose what flows from our life. Paul said, There are two natures at war within me, the flesh and the flesh. 
and the Spirit. And every day that I get up, I get to choose. I get to choose whether I'm going to be having rivers of living water come out of me or whether I'm going to let other stuff flow out. And so we must continually give God access to the deep places in our heart and believe on Him as the Scripture has said. And finally, we have to let life flow to and through us. I read somewhere that it comes to us by faith. How many of you know you've got to believe to receive? <clears throat> comes to us by faith, but it goes through us by love. Paul said, I, I can speak with the tongues of angels and men, and if I have not love, it profits nothing. Right? It gives life to nobody. How, how do I let it flow through my life? By loving my neighbor. The Holy Ghost will empower and equip you to bring life to the world around you, but you have to choose to let it flow. And so, tonight, I bring your attention back to Jesus. I want us to stand. We're going to get ready to pray and take our offering in just a minute. We actively engage in the work of the Spirit when we use our gifts for God's purpose. The other day, <clears throat> I was talking to a guy from our church here, and... Uh, I won't call his name. I don't want to embarrass anybody. But he was just telling me about some people that he was helping on his job. And I thought to myself, I didn't say it out loud. I thought to myself, that's what it's all about. Nobody knows about it. There's no announcements made about it. There's no church text going out congratulating. It's just the work of people who are looking to Jesus because it transforms you, Brother Daryl. When you realize that you're not enough and that only He is, it transforms you. And when you believe on Him, as the Scripture said, He doesn't just give you His Spirit. He makes you a river of the Spirit flowing out of your life. And everywhere that it touches, it brings life. I don't know about you, but that's the kind of Christian that I want to be. I want to be the kind of Christian that people want to have a relationship because it's a life-giving relationship. It's not just an average normal, but the Spirit of God working through me because I've learned to look to and believe on Him. How many of you want that tonight? Can we just raise our hands and pray, Lord, God, we receive Your Word tonight. We know that our life is a source of something, God. We know that when we look to things and let them in, God, that they'll flow out of our heart and they'll begin to impact our life, God. We know, Lord, that your word is true. And so, God, we bring you our heart tonight. We look to you, Jesus, because you're the source of living water. God, we trust in you because we can't save ourselves. God, we hope in you because we have no hope in ourselves. And, Lord, we come back to you again, giving you our heart, giving you our soul giving you our strength. God, I pray for each and every person in this room, God, that you would let the transforming power of the Holy Ghost come upon them. God, if they haven't yet received the baptism of the Spirit, I pray that you would fill them to overflowing. Come on, would somebody pray that with me, Lord? We pray that there would be an outpour of your Spirit, God, upon our church, upon the lost, and through our lives. In the name of Jesus, we pray and we believe it tonight. And everybody that's believed it, would you say amen?